Okay, how's everybody doing? Whew. I feel like I should just sit down this morning and let God do something because God is moving in the house. Amen. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Ian Somerville. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here in Journey. Um, and yeah, absolutely, it is the privilege of my life to be here. It's also the privilege of my life to be uh, the husband of Jill and the, uh, the daddy of Jonah. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's, uh, are there any dads in the house this morning? Dads in the house, yeah. Dads, this is, this is, it's that season, it's that time of year, it's summertime. My car is full of sand. <laughs> we were at the beach yesterday. Now, those of you who know me know that I live quite a neat, tidy, particular life, okay? Everything is in place, everything has a place. It's in order. If you were to come into my office and work, like I would know, I know if somebody's been in my office because something's moved slightly, right? I know, uh, you know, and that was my dad. My dad, like if you went into his home office at home and you, 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 just, you thought you didn't touch anything, he knew, he's like, you've been in my office. I've become that man. I've become my father in that regard and I'm actually okay with that, but I'm not okay with the sand in my car. But it's not just the sand. There's sand, there's damp swimming togs, there's towels, there's half-eaten snacks, there are crocs with crocs on them. Okay, it, like my car. It, so there are two, there's two types of car in our house. There's my wife's car, which is basically a dumpster fire. Um, like it is unbelievable. And God bless you, Jill. I know you're watching this at home. Um, and uh, your car is amazing, but I'm not driving that dumpster fire. My car is neat and tidy, but it's not at the minute. So, so I feel a little bit of pain. So that's the time of year that it is. Um, and it's that time of year of our summer season in church. And our summer series in church. As you can see, there's an, we're not a church that basically goes to sleep in the summer. We're a church that ramps things up. And yeah, we don't do our regular things like journey groups and uh, all those things. Those aren't happening, but that's because there's so much other stuff happening. Because in the summer, we really get the focus out. And we really get the focus on preaching the gospel and living the gospel and seeing people's lives impacted for Jesus. That's what the summer is about. Um, so we've obviously a couple of things happening this summer which are amazing. Please do get involved with our uh, I Heart Antrim week. It will be amazing. Uh, even if you're just coming to uh, help tidy things up or help put things away, every bit counts and every person that helps out in those weeks makes a massive difference to our community. Um, the other side then, we get to do the kind of prophetic national level, national level conference, which is incredible. Um, it's just amazing to be able to do that. Again, it's an absolute privilege to do that. Um, so let's see, hands up, who was here last week? Who was here last week? Okay, you came back. <laughs> right, my goodness. So some of you must be hungry for something. Um, well, last week was one of those uh, weeks in church where you spend some time and you prepare something and then you turn up in church and God's doing something totally different. And we live for those times. Those times are awesome. Um, and I did have a teach prepared last week that I was going to take you through like a teaching on all of these things, but it was like, God went, let's just give, let's just give that encounter and God released encounter in the room. So I am going to teach on some of the stuff that I was going to teach on uh, last week. So there will be, like I did throw bits and pieces of it there, but it was in, by that stage, it was in no logical, coherent fashion. Um, and what I'm going to do is kind of draw some of this stuff together, give a bit of a teach on it and actually show a scriptural basis for manifestations of the Spirit and, and how God moves with us. But there's one key question 
And this is kind of the bit that I'm, I'm adding on to it this week. And it, it's this. When we have these encounters with Jesus, when God shows up, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? And that's what we want to look at today because we are all about encounters in this church. You're here today because so many people, so many leaders and so many people who are part of the life of this church have just set our hearts after encountering the Father. Set our hearts after. And we're here on the back of encounters that like, have happened in this church over the years. We wouldn't be here if it was not for those God encounters and those prophetic things that have been. But I promise you, every time where, where we have encounters with Jesus, we get up changed. And the Holy Spirit moves and we end up kind of overcome or uh, you know, just having that, that visionary experience or whatever it is with God. Those are the times where God really sweeps in and changes us. See, if you come and you get prayed for and you roll about the floor, and you laugh, and you have a good time, and you get up, and nothing's fundamentally changed, I would ask the question, you know, is that really all there is to it? Have you really got that God encounter, or is it just a wee bit of fun in church? And like, listen, there's nothing wrong with fun. Fun's good. God wants church to be enjoyable. <clears throat> but first and foremost, we've got to seek after Jesus. You see, the thing is, Jesus comes... And he pours himself out in these encounters. And we can't actually miss him even in these encounters. So my heart posture, anytime these things are happening with myself, is God, focus, I want to focus on you. And I want this encounter to actually be surgery on me. So when God comes and moves in power, I actually don't want to miss out on what Jesus is doing just for the sake of a fun encounter. I want Jesus to come and actually do stuff in my life. You see, I've been about the charismatic world for, for way too long. And there's some of us who just love the hype. We love the crazy. But we're not interested in the heart surgery. So I want to encourage you this morning. That when God's moving like this, just your prayer is, God, come and move. Come and change me from the inside out. So I am, as I said, going to look at some of the things that I was planning to look at last week. Um, but hopefully it'll be a wee bit more accessible this week. Um, <clears throat> see, a lot of people wonder about manifestations. Why do they occur? Why do we allow them to happen in church? Are they biblical? Okay. Or are we being deceived by demonic spirits? Okay. I want to answer some of these questions really directly and really briefly this morning. We don't have time to look at all of this. See, lots of the world... Lots of the church world look at charismatic circles at times and they just go, charismatics are just given to overly emotional, fleshy displays, experiences that don't do anything but just draw attention to the person having the experience and their potential emotional instability. It should be obvious to most of us, but God is an emotional God. Our God is an emotional God. God created emotions. And I know I talked about this a little bit last week. But God expresses a full range of emotions. And emotions aren't bad things. I often describe emotions as little Sherpas, as little tour guides. They show us what's really going on inside. If somebody's speaking to me and I find myself getting frustrated, and frustrated is a polite Northern Irish word for angry, okay? 
You, know, you do know that frustration and anger are the same thing. Just frustration is the nice polite version. That's really frustrating me. That's really frustrating me. You're really angry and you should acknowledge that and own it. It's okay. God gets angry. God's full of compassion. God's full of love. God's full of joy. God cries. God regrets. That's 1 Samuel. We looked at it last week. 1 Samuel 15, 18 says, I regret that he made Saul king because he's turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. See, lots of Christians struggle with the idea that God has made us emotional beings. You see, God has made us emotional beings. He expects us to express them and not repress them, but not be ruled by them. And there is a big difference. See, God created emotions to give our life color, to give our life richness that would otherwise be lacking. If you didn't have emotions and you just did everything that you were supposed to do when you were supposed to do it, we'd just be robots. And that's not what God created, thank the Lord. See, so given all of that, that God created emotions, and emotions are a good thing, we shouldn't be surprised that people react emotionally when God moves in church. We shouldn't be surprised when people cry, when people laugh, when people shout, when people are very clearly emotionally moved. When God touches us and moves in power, we are going to have emotions that come up. And how we will react depends on what God's doing. He might be dealing with something at the time where actually laughing is the most appropriate response. God might be dealing with something in our lives where actually repentance starts to bubble up and we just start to cry and we start to, uh, start just, to uh, just to call out to God. You see, shockingly, God isn't shocked by our emotions. And when we have an emotional reaction in church, that's okay. See, we know, and we talked about this last week, and we're going to look at Luke 3, verse 16. We should feel the Holy Spirit. You should feel the Holy Spirit. Now, we shouldn't be guided totally by our feelings and emotions, okay? And we are going to come to that in a minute. But we should feel, because we get asked the question, should you feel the Holy Spirit? Yes, yes, you should feel the Holy Spirit. Let's read this. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You're going to feel that. You're going to feel that. You're going to feel when the Holy Spirit's in the room. When we were worshiping this morning, there was that feeling that just came of peace that just came in the room. That feeling of the anointing of God moving in the room. We feel our emotions become aware of God when he starts to move in our presence. See, there is a strong Christian tradition to resist emotionalism. We are conditioned in our Western rational thought not to trust our emotions, and for good reason, okay? So, lots of us, including me, by the way, my wife will tell you, I'm a massive skeptic. When I hear something, no, it's not right. No, no, no. I actually start with a position of skepticism, and God, by his miraculous power, moves me into a place of faith quite a lot, okay? It's okay to be a skeptic. It's not all about emotions. We receive by faith. However, 
if we ignore and suppress our emotions, we're actually denying part of our created order that God has given us. Now, I'm not talking about fleshy over emotional behavior. Okay, I'm not talking about just living in that fleshy emotional space. But there's so, listen, if I was preaching to an American church this morning, I wouldn't need to say any of this. But I'm preaching to a Northern Irish church where we love to cut off our emotions and we love to hide our expressions and we love to sit nice and po-faced and, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. It's like that little meme, you know, of the dog that's sitting perfectly fine but everything's in fire all around him. That's us. That's the Northern Irish church. God's burning fire all around us and we're just sitting there going, it's fine, it's totally fine. So I'm not gonna build a case here on emotions alone, but God wants to hammer that home. Emotions are okay. We're gonna look at some scripture and I'm gonna look at some strange manifestations of the spirit in scripture. I'm gonna look at some Old Testament. I'm gonna look at some New Testament things. Things that God did in the lives of real human beings that just go completely outside of our comprehension, okay? Things that might offend us. But remember, I didn't make these stories up. These aren't made up stories. These are things that God has done. So we're gonna look at Zechariah. Anybody know who Zechariah is? All the mumbling, that's good. Zechariah, I find Zechariah in Luke chapter one. Um, and actually part of the, the, the Christmas story. So let's read a little bit about this. Um, and we're gonna read here, this is Luke chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 18 and we're gonna go to verse 22. So you can follow along, uh, along with us, but it will appear on the screen too. It says this, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you're to call him John. So we can see here, Zachariah is the father of John the Baptist, that's right. Okay. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Oh, sorry, Zechariah um, responds to this, how can it be? The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So, hey, you, shut up. Stop speaking. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. Okay. Now let's put ourselves, and I know I've, I know I've, taught, I've preached on this in the past, so if you've heard this before, tough, you need to hear it again. Imagine your lovely significant other goes to journey group and they come back home and they can't speak. <laughs> Wives, you're rejoicing in your spirits right now. My wife would be so happy if I came home, she would be blessing the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah, more Lord. <laughs> but if it went on for a day, two days, three days, a month, my wife would be blessing the Lord even more at this point. <clears throat> but how many of us would go, oh, I'm not so sure about that church. Well, it has to be demonic. Surely the Lord wouldn't move like that. Hello? Zachariah has just had an angelic encounter. And the result of it is, shut up, you're not speaking for a while. You've had enough to say. 
believe what I've said, and you'll see it come to, come to pass. So Zechariah kind of gets, gets pushed into this enforced, uh, almost sila, just be quiet, just rest, relax, let God do his thing. You see, most of us would decide if God moved like that, that's a bad thing. And you see, we get this lovely thing that comes up in, in charismatic circles, or kind of, I call them gentle charismatic circles sometimes, where people go, the Holy Spirit's a gentle man. He'd never do anything that you don't want him to do. He'd never move in your life in a way that would offend you or offend the lives of others. Can I say that that's just not God? He's God. He's sovereign God. He gets to do whatever he wants. Now, we can say no. We can say, no, I'm not, I don't want to partake in that. I postured my heart a long time ago. When God moves, I just say yes. I try to say yes. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We're in church. Let's be honest. I try to say yes. I try to go, yes. Usually it takes me a minute or two. It depends on what it is, but it t- I will say yes. But you see, he's God. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants. Does Zechariah want to be struck dumb? I would say probably not. <laughs> no. But it was a direct result of an encounter with God. See, this is an unusual manifestation. I'll be honest with you, I've lived in these kind of charismatic circles all my life. I've never seen God do that. My wife's maybe praying for it right now, but it's, uh, I, I, I've, never, I've never seen God do that. But one of, the ones that, one of the common ones that we get is falling over. Oh no, people have fallen over. Let's get freaked out. Let's leave. I'm offended. Okay, good for you. See, there's a good scriptural tradition of actually falling down in God's presence. This isn't, this, this isn't stuff that we just made up. It is, see, we've got two streams of things that happen in our ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is a big fancy word that just means how we do church. There's two things that come in together. And uh, there's, there's scriptural ideas and there's traditional ideas. And those both come together in what, what we're doing. Okay? And you know that tradition's not always a bad thing. When we get our traditions and we're immovable on them and say, well, it has to happen like this and the announcements have to be part of this service and we have to stop doing whatever this is when God's moving because this is the time we do that. When, when, when we put our traditions above the spirit, that's when we get problems. But traditions aren't bad things. And we have a great tradition in the church of God moving in power and people being incapacitated. It's a scriptural and a church, you know, a tradition within church. Let's take a look at it. We'll go right back to the Old Testament here. Let's look at Genesis 15, uh, verse 12. It says this. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, obviously this was no ordinary sleep. He wasn't going for a wee nap like my son probably is right now. Okay. Wasn't going just for a nap in the middle of the day. He has been completely overwhelmed, overpowered, and just knocked out cold by God. Now why? Because this is where God, you actually notice it's Abraham there. At the end of this story, it's Abraham. Because this is where God actually cuts covenant with Abraham. He goes, Abraham, I'm actually going to knock you out for a while. I'm going to put you out cold because this next bit, I just don't want you to interfere with. We're going to cut covenant here and you're going to be changed forever. Abraham, his whole identity is changed when he gets up from this encounter with God. 
His name, his very name gets changed due to this encounter. Now I'm gonna go quickly through these things because I wanna take, take a look, I wanna give us some biblical basis of this, that we're not just flighty and wild and crazy, that we actually do have a biblical understanding of what's happening. Um, I could go to 1 Kings 8.11. Uh, it won't appear on the screen here, uh, but it's also in 2 Chronicles 5.14. Uh, it's when they're dedicating the temple and Solomon's built the temple and they dedicate the temple and the presence of God comes in and basically all the priests fall down in God's presence. They can't stand up because the glory of God has filled the house. Whew. I mean, God's glory shows up in this room. You're not just gonna be sitting there po-faced. God's manifest Shekinah glory turns up in this room. There's only one place we're gonna be. It's gonna be on our knees. It's gonna be on our face unable to stand up before the presence of God. And see, that's what we have access to. Every Sunday that we come together, we have access to the Holy of Holies, to that innermost presence, to that weighty glory of God. That's what happened at the cross. We were given access to the fullness of God. But yet we come and we're happy for dip our toes in the temple courts and praise and have a bit of fun and then step back before anything might cause us to have to do anything with our lives. See, they literally fell on the floor and they couldn't get up. Let's look at a New Testament example. We'll go to uh, John chapter 18, verses three to six, says this. Now, I love this story. I love this because this is one, I describe this as a hidden in plain sight verse. This is one of these things, it's another one of those uh, it's part of, part of a biblical story that we all know, okay? It's part of the kind of the passion, the crucifixion. Um, but yet we miss this. I missed this for years until God opened my eyes to it. Will you see this? Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, now he's betraying Jesus here, and they just go, oh yeah, take a whole lot of troops, go and get them, great. And officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons, and probably pitchforks, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things um, that who uh, would come upon him, went forward and said to them, who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, how many people have noticed that in that verse of Scripture? And you see, what's going on here? Now, there's a whole lot of things. They might have tripped and fallen. Wow, okay, well, I don't think that's what's happening in this story. Notice what Jesus says. They say, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he. As Jesus stands there and he reveals the full weight of who he is, their only response is, boom, down. When Jesus comes and reveals who he is to us, we are not able to hold it and carry it. I can't carry the full weight of revelation of who he is. I'm, I'm overcome when I capture that revelation. See, people often say, and I, as I said, this, this will show you I grew up in charismatic circles. People will often say, oh, it's only God if you fall face forward. <laughs> If you fall backwards, oh, that's the devil. <laughs> There's examples here of people falling forward, falling backwards, falling every which way they want, and God's moving every single time. 
it doesn't matter which direction you fall. Now, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna choose, I'm gonna fall. I'm gonna choose to go face forward because I'm gonna, I want to be before God and submit to what He's doing. But if you fall over and you fall backwards, idiot, it's not a problem. Okay, it's not a problem. The thing that matters is what is God doing in that moment. What is God doing in that moment? Has God shown up? And what's he doing? See, I don't have time. I'm looking at the clock and I'm panicking. Um, we could look at like shaking. Shaking happens. And there's some people who will remain nameless who's when the spirit's moving, the legs start shaking off them. <laughs> it's perfectly biblical. Go and have a look at it. Uh, Habakkuk 3.16, Matthew 28, 4. Uh, laughing's another one. There's loads of instances of people laughing uh, uh, when God starts to move. Genesis 17, 17, 17, 17. That's an easy one to remember. Psalm 126, uh, 22. <sighs> Shouting, uh, singing, speaking in tongues. Listen, there are countless examples. When God, these things that happen when God moves in a charismatic church are not things that we have just decided to do. These are things that have happened right throughout Scripture and right throughout Christian tradition, right throughout our history as a church. But here's the important question. When God moves, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? There is a very biblical case for all of these things and more, okay? So not limiting God to just these things. But where's the fruit? What are the fruit of these manifestations? What are the fruits of these encounters? How has your life changed? Are you closer to Jesus after a result of the encounter? Or are you less close to Jesus? Or have you just stayed the same? Stagnant. I don't ever want to be stagnant. I would actually nearly rather go backwards than stand still. That's part of my personality. I, don't, I used to make apologies for that, but I don't anymore. I, it's an inbuilt thing in me. I want to be making progress. I want to be moving forward. I want to be in a better place this time next year than I was now, than I was this time last year. I want to constantly be moving forward and growing physically, spiritually, emotionally, every way that I can. I, I, I want to be better. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a, a better follower and lover of Jesus. I don't want to stay the same. I don't want to stay where I'm at. And I, do you know how I do that? This. I read this, and I spend time before Jesus asking him to speak to me and move through me and or move in, in my heart and teach me and offend me and change my position and change my ideas and move my thinking. That happens by having biblical, scriptural times with Jesus where I encounter him. Can I encourage you? See if that's been gathering dust, even digital dust on your phone. Blow it off, get it out, start reading it. Get some good study notes, really go deep. Sometimes, see, I used to have this idea every time I picked up the word, I had to come out with some amazing life application. I had to, I had to read it, like whatever I read, I had to go, oh, that means I must do this now. See, that's not how the Bible works sometimes. In fact, that's very rarely how the Bible works. Yet, there's amazing application and there's amazing practical things we learn from it. But sometimes just reading and understanding and getting a little bit of head knowledge in something seeps into our hearts and actually changes our actions far more than getting, I must do X, Y, or Z. Just study the Bible. It will change, it will change your life. It will change your life. Okay? Um, but there's a very clear barometer. Okay? 
we have a, we have a wee barometer on our just out, just on the way outside our door, and uh, Jonah he'll say. So he started doing this thing where he comes up to you and he goes, "Daddy, carry you, carry you," because we'd come up to you and put his arms up, and I'd say, "Do you want me to carry you?" <laughs> so I'm trying to teach him it's carry me or up please or something else, but carry you. So we're, we're, we've already destroyed the child with Northern Irish English. So. Uh, yeah, say, Danny, carry you, carry you. And you pick him up just as you're going out the door. And he go, barometer, barometer. And he goes over and he has to tap it to see which way the wee needle's moving. Has anybody, has anybody got a barometer? Like an old traditional barometer. You tap it and it'll, it'll move slightly to show you whether the pressure's increasing or decreasing. When you tap it, it just gives it a wee move. Um, so a barometer gives you like a reading of where things are at. So there's a really clear scriptural barometer for how these, thing, these encounters have changed us how we're growing in our spiritual lives. That's Galatians 5, 16 to 26. Let's take a look at it. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of God is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. See, this is a real clear barometer. The fruit in your life is either the acts of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. And the more of the, the fruit of the Spirit that we are exemplifying and growing and producing in our lives, the better. I don't know about you, but the moment I became a Christian, I didn't all of a sudden just start being peaceful and loving and kind and good. There's a lot of stuff in my life that needed worked out. There's a lot of stuff in my life. And this isn't to beat anybody up. This isn't to make you feel guilty. I mean, I mean even, as I look at this, right, I want to be more joyful, more peaceful. But like, even go back a couple of years ago, I was the least per peaceful person you could imagine online. Well, maybe not that you could imagine. Okay, that's, I'm not, like, we ain't going to terrorism here. But <laughs> if somebody put up something that I disagreed with online, I had to say something. I couldn't leave it. I couldn't scroll past. And I had to go, because just, if somebody reads that and they take that for truth, I want to show somebody the, the real truth, make sure that they know that that's not right. But what was really happening was inside me somewhere I was going, Look how intellectually superior I am to that person. I've got that worked out far better than they have, and I want to prove that I can argue better than them, and I would argue a black crow white on Facebook. 
John sat me down one day, like John Ash sat me down and had a word with me. That's how bad it was. John Ash sat me down and went, I see what you're trying to do, but would you stop it? <laughs> I don't feel the need to do that anymore. I don't feel the need to argue with people online. Believe what you want. If you want to believe something stupid on Facebook, that's your own problem. I don't feel the need to argue with people. And even when I put something up that's vaguely controversial, and I don't even do that very much anymore, even when I put something up and somebody wants to argue with me, I don't bother. There's no point. I'm not, you're not going to suddenly win anybody over by having an amazing argument on Facebook. All's going to happen is I'm going to argue with them. And I know this trajectory really well. I'm going to argue with them. I'm going to win because that's who I am. Even if I have to fight dirty, I'm going to win. And at the end of it, I'm going to feel bad, I'm going to feel guilty, and I'm going to, send them a, I'm going to send them a private message and say, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have spoken to you like that, blah, 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 please forgive me. That's how it's going to go. Because it's always, that's how it's always gone. So I just don't do it anymore. I want to be peaceful. I want to give out peace. And I, instead of spreading discord, I want to actually bring unity and hope and life. I want to be more patient. I want to be more kind. I want to be more faithful. I want to be more gentle and more in control of myself. And these encounters that we have with God, I want to milk every last bit out of them so that I become more of those things. And sometimes that means allowing God to come into my life and prune stuff that I quite like. Sometimes that means allowing God to come into my life and go, this thing that you really love and that you think is bearing loads of fruit, I'm going to cut that away because I'm shaping you and I'm molding you into something different. Will you submit to it? Sometimes it means that the fruit that I think is the really good fruit, I gotta let God take out of my life. And there's two things that'll hold us back. I'm quoting John Arnott here. For if anybody doesn't know who John Arnott is, John Arnott is like, one of the forefathers of uh, the move that uh, kind of we've been living in since uh, the, the Toronto Blessing back in 1994, I think was when the Toronto Blessing hit. And John Arnott is kind of the, the forefather of that movement within Catch the Fire, started over in the Toronto Airport uh, Christian Fellowship Church. And um, obviously they've encountered lots of manifestations and things over the years. And he says there's two things that will hold you back and it's fear and pride from an encounter. Fear, because fear says, I don't want to be out of control. Don't leave my comfort zone. I don't know what's going to happen. And pride, I'm not doing that. I don't want to look like a fool. See, both of those attitudes will hinder us from these encounters. Instead, I want to come before God and be able to say, God, I just completely trust you. And I completely submit to what you want to do and how you want to move through me and with my life. Now, I'm not saying check your brain at the door, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Um, and that's uh, every time I say that at the minute. Has anybody encountered slugs and bugs? Yeah, Rihanna has. Yeah, the primary school teacher's going to encounter. Slugs and bugs is this, this, this really Americanized thing. It's a bit, does anybody remember Salty, the singing praise book? It's kind of like an American version of that. And uh, there's, there's one of the songs they sing, you, 
You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Deuteronomy 6, 5. And, that's, and it just goes on in a, yeah, thank you. It just goes on in a wee loop. And a loop. So we're not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you can see what's happening in our house. Like that's literally, that, it's not Bethel anymore, it's slugs and bugs. Um, I'm not saying check your brain at the door. But sometimes we can overthink these things and we can actually think ourselves out of an encounter with God. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to bring the band back up. And I'm going to bring the prayer team up. You'll notice we didn't put the chairs back out at the front. Okay? We left a bit more space up here at the front. I quite like it. Quite like it. And we're going to bring the prayer team up as well as the worship team. And God is here. God wants to move with you. God wants to move through you. God wants to give you encounters. But you know what? If that's a bit scary, you can even just come up and just pray for more of God in your life. In whatever way that looks for you. This doesn't have to look the same for everybody. You could be sitting beside somebody and they're having a massive encounter with God and you wouldn't even know it. But you could be sitting beside somebody and they're having a very obvious encounter with God. It's not the outward that matters. It's the inward encounter with God. No, stand with me. God, we thank you that you are not limited by our abilities, by our thinking, by our ideas, Lord. That you are bigger, that your ways are higher, God. Your thoughts are higher. And we submit to you. Holy Spirit, we say, would you come and move with us? Lord, we ask for the encounters that bring us to the next place, Lord. That bring us, Lord, to that, uh, that new level with you, God. That new understanding with you, Lord. That bring us closer to you. That make us more like you, God, that make us more loving, more patient, more kind, Lord, that make us gentler, that make us more in control. God, we ask for those encounters that change us, Lord, daily encounters, Lord, and the one-off big encounters that really move us from one place to another. God, would you come and just pour out your spirit in this room? Would you come and move in power? And would you come and meet your children? In Jesus' name, amen.